Hello and welcome to Energy Transition Talk, the podcast that explores the challenges and opportunities of transitioning to a low-carbon future. I'm Paulina. I'm Justine. And I'm Jim. And we're your hosts for the Energy Transition Talk. In this podcast, we seek to break down some of the most complex and important issues regarding the energy transition and how it impacts us. In each episode, we seek to tell a story by bringing you various perspectives about the energy transition so that you can make the best and most informed decisions for you and your communities. One tough question that must be answered in the energy transition is, what are the real costs of going green and who is going to pay the bill? In our latest episode, we spoke to Brad Handler at the Colorado School of Mines on the topic of private financing, why we're still investing in fossil fuels, the challenges of redirecting money to developing countries, and the role that Wall Street and industry might play in the energy transition. So if you haven't listened to it yet, please be sure to check it out. In today's episode, we speak with a panel of mineral economics students from Ghana uh, who are taking their classes uh, at Colorado School of Mines. It's Eben, John, Ruben, and Felix, who are going to help us become better um, acquainted with a perspective from Sub-Saharan Africa, where sustainable development must go hand in hand with decarbonization goals. Here's our conversation. In our episode of the cost of going green. We had a, a rather broad conversation with Brad Handler from the Sustainable Finance Lab of the Payne Institute uh, for Public Policy at the Colorado School of Mines. Uh, he gave us the broad kind of global view. And now we've got this incredible opportunity to talk to a panel of four mineral economics students. Uh, I'd say they're students, but uh, You'll, you'll find out from their introductions that they've got uh, quite a bit of background as well as working in the regulatory field in this subject. But all four of them are mineral economic students at the School of Mines, but they all come from Ghana. Uh, and that perspective we think is really gonna be a unique contribution to our, our, our message here today. So we're gonna first start out with uh, general introductions and, and so, uh, Eben, I want you to uh, to, to kind of kick this thing off, but we'd like to hear from all four of our panelists here on uh, just a brief introduction of yourself, uh, what sparked your interest in mineral economics and in the energy kind of field in general. Okay. Eben, so take it away. To start with, Eben Zamafusam is my name, and I currently serve as a graduate student, uh, research assistant at the Payne Institute for Public Policy in Golding. Colorado here. And um, so my economic journey in economics began in Ghana, where I earned my bachelor's degree, subsequently working with the National Petroleum Authority in Ghana for about two years. This experience was very pivotal and led me to further my education in the UK, where I earned a master's degree in economics, banking, and finance. So my pursuit of knowledge and passion for addressing the global energy challenges brought me to the United States, specifically to Colorado School of Mines, where I am currently working towards a master's degree in mineral and energy economics, which I'm, and, and I'm, I'm looking at uh, graduating in May next year. So one of my most enriching experience was collaborating with Prof. Jim yourself and the Colorado Methane Rule Revocation. You know, this project alongside with my participation in the two reports with the Penn Institute on critical mineral outlook has deepened my uh, fascination with mineral impact and economies that's that, that captivate me. So this experience coupled with um, the state of our facilities here and the resources available in the USA make it an ideal destination for my academic and professional development. 
Great. Well, thank you, uh, Evan. Um, uh, who's up next? Ruben, you want to go? Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> uh, my name is Ruben uh, Yuri Gani Anafo, and I'm from Ghana. Um, currently, I'm a master's student uh, here in, uh, in Golden at the Colorado School of Mines. Uh, I'm studying minerals and energy economics, and thankfully, I'm happy to start some research work with um, Brad. Um, I, I, have, um, I have about 11 years experience with, uh, in the petroleum industry, that's the downstream petroleum industry in Ghana. And uh, before joining Mines, I was working with the National Petroleum Authority all this while. And I mean, my, my quest for more knowledge and my quest for knowledge in the field of energy led me to, I mean, come here to the United States of America to learn more. And I was happy and I'm happy to be here. Um, and uh, since, since I got here, I, I've had opportunity to talk to a lot of people. And most of the talks are on energy transition, energy transition and climate change. So I, I was very happy when this was brought to me that uh, there's gonna be a talk on energy transition. And here am I, I am happy to be with you guys and hope to contribute my little Hey John, uh, uh, let's. Do, well, can you give a bit of an introduction? Yeah, Jim. Uh, I'm happy to be here. My name is John Ayaburi, and uh, I'm a PhD candidate in uh, operations research. And uh, like you said, I started off as a mineral and energy economics uh, master's student before transitioning to operations research. And uh, predominantly, my work is twofold. Uh, one is it is in uh, uh, energy transition and looking at reliable um, energy supply, and at the same time, looking at how we can uh, make use of uh, the resources that are kind of like in Africa to spearhead and kind of like fast track the energy transition. And um, the other part of my research, which is what I'm working on currently in underground mining is more related to uh, mine safety and looking at how these underground mine companies can kind of like extract all profitably and safely in order to provide the critical materials that are required for the energy transition. So that is what I'm doing. But um, also I have other works on um, transitioning from diesel to uh, battery electric vehicles, which I think is very fascinating. Uh, I may not be contributing directly to the energy space, but I think I'm definitely contributing to minimizing emissions. So that's all about me. Well, that's good. Well, Felix, uh, you're the last of the crew. Tell us about you. Hi, everyone. Again, I'm Felix Ayaburi. I'm currently pursuing a master's degree in the mineral energy program at the Colorado School of Mines and also working as a graduate researcher with Penn Institute for Public Policy, where I work with Brad Handler in the Sustainable Finance Lab. I have a background in petroleum engineering, and I bring with me approximately two years of hands-on experience from my time at Modec Production Services, a respected player in the offshore oil and gas production. Energy serves as the lifeblood of our modern world. It fuels our vehicles, it powers our machineries, and it illuminates our homes. This, this fascinates me. And my journey in the energy sector began in the context of the joining oil and gas industry in Ghana. It was an exciting time for the nation as it commenced oil production in 2009, with Talu as the sole operator and Modek as a significant contributor, the offshore driller. The presence of three active oil fields in Ghana, Jubilee and Sankofa, further deepened my interest in the energy sector. And this particularly led me to pursue a degree in petroleum engineering. But now in the mineral and energy sector, I'm particularly interested 
in the impact of mineral economics in global markets because it fascinates to see how the supply and demand for minerals can influence the world economy and how the prices and availability of minerals affect various industries from technology, construction, which in turn can have ripple effects on international trade and economic stability. So I decided to pursue studies in, in, in the United States as it offers a, a world of opportunities to gain deeper understanding of this field and make meaningful impacts when I return to Ghana. Thank you. Well, let's stick with you, Felix, because I, I, that's a fact, great be, a technical background to go from petroleum engineering and add the economics kind of perspective. Can you just go a little bit deeper? What does the term energy transition mean to you? And also a little bit of how your maybe perspective of this has changed from when you were in, in Ghana to were now in the United States. Do you see similarities or differences between the general public's view of what that phrase means? Thank you, Jim. To me, energy transition refers to the shift from traditional, often fossil fuel-based energy sources, such as coal, oil, and natural gas, to more sustainable and environmentally friendly sources of energy. So this transition aims to reduce greenhouse emissions combat uh, climate change, and move towards cleaner, more sustainable energy systems. It typically involves greater focus on renewable energy sources, such as solar, wind, hydroelectric power, and a decrease in reliance on non-renewable and, and polluting energy sources. With regards to Ghana, the difference between energy transition and how my perspective has changed. A country like Ghana, oil and gas is a major player in our economy. Not to say it's not a major player in the United States economy, but over here, the economy is kind of diverse, unlike Ghana. So my perception of energy transition in Ghana was not so much of a big deal because it wasn't something we're solely focused on because this is something, this is the spine of our economy. But over here in the United States, having worked with Brad Handler recently on a paper, which is the cleaning of the United States oil and gas sector. So this paper was basically looking at ways to beat down methane emissions at oil and gas uh, production sites. This has elucidated and illuminated me a lot on, on, the, on the perception of energy transition. And I think uh, with respect to Ghana and United States, these two concepts are a bit different. Thank you. No, the, it, it seems to me, and again, I'm not an expert in this, is that in a, maybe in a country like Ghana, maybe the emphasis on energy transition is still around energy security, of having enough energy to allow the eco local economy to grow, and to uh, you know right get more people out of poverty. Maybe in the United States, with your work with Brad Handler, it's been more on the emissions of some of the fossil fuel kind of uh, industries. Is is that a fair comment about the emphasis on energy security and sustainable growth versus yes. on the environmental impact? Yes, that's 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 fair enough. Okay, so that really uh, the, the you got to have enough energy, as you said, for the lifeblood of the economy to keep it going, and and that is, might be a higher priority in areas that are still uh, a developing economy. Correct. So I'm going to move this uh, over to John uh, for to ask a, a similar but maybe um, more global finance sort of question. Um, the there's been a lot of conversation for a number of years about how will the developing economies get the funding they need to make the changes that they need to make, as well as to have uh, the energy supply needed for sustainable growth. 
So there's a conversations at the UN and all of these COP meetings, et cetera, about a north-south divide, about a rich north that essentially polluted and got rich from it. And now how does it support or work with a developing south that is um, still trying to grow to, to get uh, the economy uh, uh, where, where it wants to be? So can you talk a little bit about that perspective of north-south in terms of the finance and where the money comes from? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's good. I mean, like um, you, you, you do provide um a very good introduction to that. And uh, the North South divide has been a pre predominant issue, where we have um the global North trying to superimpose policies on um uh, the global South, and uh, you and I can point to the fact that um a lot of the uh, global North countries uh have already developed, they're industrialized, and. Uh, more than half of the industrialization came from the yeah, dependence on fossil fuel-based production. And it has gotten to the point where we have the United Nations Con uh, Convention and the framework, and then uh, the Convention of Parties trying to look at um, global response to the threat of climate change and also trying to look at um, minimizing greenhouse gas emission. But what often happens uh, is that the, de the developed world is actually willing to give money to the developing countries. But there's this issue of justice and inequity in the sense that when they give the money, we just hear the money in the media. Okay, this country is donating this amount of money to this country to kind of like uh, decarbonize, but we don't get to see how much detail is in those documents. For example, there are instances where the United States, the UK and other countries were able to promise um, um, South Africa some, some, some tons of money, like lots of money to transition from um, uh, coal to um, renewable and then um, sustainably uh, environmentally friendly production technologies. But the take there was that sometimes we don't take into perspective these countries are still lacking behind and they need to develop. Almost 85% of South Africa's electricity production comes from coal. Now, if you do give me that amount of money and you want me to transition as a country, how am I supposed to face in the transition? Right, so half of this is the uh, Global North has the money, has the policies, but there's no connection and there's no partnership between the, the, the lender and the receiver. And because of that, it leads to points where in the developer, especially in South Africa, and also like they did in Indonesia, where stakeholders are calling the amount that they are giving us empty talk, right? You are giving me this money, but what am I supposed to do with it? You just want me to transition. And half of these transitions also have conditionalities. And those conditionalities are oftentimes con conditionalities that worked in the Northern countries that have been superimposed. So if you go to, for example, South Africa or maybe Ghana, we need, we need energy security, like you said, right? Now, we don't even have, the average person probably makes less than $5 a week. And if that average person has to pay for electricity, and the person actually at this particular point doesn't have reliable electricity. Now we are talking about shifting to renewable sources. So I think, yes, the finance is there. Just to summarize, the finance is there. And I really, really, I'm happy that the global uh, North is actually trying to support the global uh, South. I think there has to be more integration and more policy framework between both parties to understand what the giver wants and what the receiver also wants so they can come to um, um, a happy medium. And like you say, the term transition here is, is very favorable. But if you go to Africa and talk about transition, people get scared. Now, everybody's talking about how just is that? How equitable? 
right? Then the next step is going to be how sure you're not going to deprive me of what I already have, even though that is insufficient. So there is this pushback. And I think, like you said, there are, or like I said earlier, there has to be a happy medium between uh, uh, the global north and the south in terms of like coming up with partnerships and yes, give the money, but come together and design policies that are favorable to both parties. I like your phrase, empty talk. And it <laughs> it, it isn't just all about sending somebody a check someplace, right? It, it really is about the capability of of the, uh, the 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 transition from the the existing maybe coal based economies uh, dealing with uh, uh, the the just how much you know the the common individual has to spend on energy with with regard to that and making sure you know basic needs are met and basic, making sure it isn't just money that may go into a, a corrupt system or governance problem or whatever and into the hands of the those those who are already rich instead yeah. of those that that, uh, that 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 really need the help so it's a collaboration then right more than it is just a check yes it has to be a collaboration and more than just the check and like you said if the check is one part of it but uh, a recent report by the african development bank actually shows that um i mean across africa people are looking for um, help and then policies and collaboration in the front of technical and technological advancement. They are looking at uh, policies of mitigation and adaptation, and they are also looking at policies with regards to uh, climate financing. So like you said, we have the climate financing piece. We also need capacity building. So we need capacity building, we need adaptation, we need mitigation, and we need technological advancement. Now, if you give the money and all these five broad areas are not coordinated, then there's going to be a pushback about what the people want versus what the global north actually wants. We know globally we all want to um, achieve the greenhouse gas emission um, 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 limits, but it has to take like a uniform approach and more like a universal too, where we are taking each other's um, um, our needs into consideration. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, there there have been projects where the global north, whatever, however well-intentioned the the effort was, is they just come into a local community, they they give them the northern technology, and they said, here, you know, you're all set up and we'll leave now. And without, you know, kind of working on making that part of the local economy about developing the skills, can anybody repair when something breaks? It's can broken, somebody? Yeah have the equipment parts to keep it going and and make it part of uh, the integral society local society instead of just here's our answer here you go do it right yeah yeah i mean they're always like solution solution methodologies that work and uh sometimes like you said there's geographical limitations as to how applicable a solution can be sometimes charity is the wrong answer right it's <laughs> it's the working together to yeah. uh, to uplift all hands, right? Type of thing. That's correct. Yes, that's correct. Well, I'm going to get to Ruben on a, a topic because obviously African nations are trying to uh, raise their own voice of what energy transition, what just transition means to the global South and what it should mean more than just the empty talk, more than just the checkbook. Um, and and to, to try to put their voice into the conversation the global UN conversation about what they think should be done, not just what the North thinks should be done for them. So Ruben, I, I've, I've read, you know, recent, um, uh, you know, articles about something called the Nairobi Convention where African environmental ministers and finance ministers got together and even policies that are being, um, you know, uh, worked on and, and promoted by African countries such as Ghana. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the African voice in this conversation? Right. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. You know, sometime in, sometime in September this year, that was last month, um, we had a group of African leaders uh, coming together in Nairobi to uh, have a discussion, a prolonged discussion on the much talked about energy transition, which, which encompasses the climate change and other stuff. And then, I mean, at this declaration, there, were, there was a, a strong push for an accelerated action and financing mechanisms of this whole conversation. And I mean, the African leaders present there or the leaders present there were ca called for, I mean, urgent actions by developed countries such as America, I mean, in other developed countries to reduce carbon emission there were proposals on new financing mechanisms and to restructure all this conversation. I mean, we all know Africa is crippling with debt and stocks to unlock climate funding. And I mean, when we when 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 conversations of this nature come up, we are always at the mercy because we have little of financing. And we always look up to the developed countries like America and other developed countries to come to our aid to help, I mean, help in this conversation and decarbonizing the whole, I mean, global economy for um, equity and shared prosperity. Um, if, if, if you really followed conversations that went on um, last month, you realize that uh, there, was a, there was a huge call for investment to promote sustainable use of Africa's uh, natural resources, as John mentioned, and also for um, the continent's transaction, uh, sorry, the continent's transition to low carbon development, and then also contribution to um, global decarbonization. So I think um, the meeting that was held or the summit that was held in Nairobi is in, is in, is in order, and it's a good call, hoping that um, the, there was, there's going to be huge there's going to be a huge help or there's going to be good help from developing countries such as uh, the United States of America. And, you know, Africa, as we all, we all know, is always at the mercy when talks of climate change, talks of uh, decarbonization, that's uh, moving from cleaner, moving from fossil fuel to cleaner fuel. And I, I'm just praying and hoping that someday we also get to get to be a, a, a power with, I mean, with the developed countries in trying to transition from fossil fuel to, I mean, the cleaner cleaner fuel like uh, wind, solar, and other other stuff. I don't know, but uh, climate change concerns such as climate change effects concerns such as prolonged droughts, devastating floods, wild and forest fires, which cause massive impact on African economy, is really a talk of we really talk of a talk of the time. So we are hoping that um, there's 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 going to be there's going to be much focus on that to help Africa also get to the level at which we have to get to when we talk of climate change and also which encompasses the energy transition. So um, Jim, I am hoping that you 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 guys are people who talk and. With your writings and with your articles and with your researches out there, it gets to it gets to the hearing of the developed countries like America to help uh, finance and also help help Africa to be able to move from um, the, the 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 use of fossil fuel to cleaner fuel 
in order to also contribute its quota to the decarbonization and also to um, help mitigate effects of climate change that is that is that has become a major topic of discussion in the world as it stands. Well, it's certainly one of the um, goals of this podcast is to listen to all voices and uh, and bef- that, you know, to help educate ourselves on that because I mean obviously every nation is not the same thing. Can you say just a little bit about the progress of renewable energy? growth within uh, different African countries? Yeah, right. Significantly, uh, there are some African countries that are making great, great um, attempts to transitioning and also tr- trying to contribute to cleaner use of cleaner fuel. Uh, a typical example is um, Kenya. Kenya, as it stands, is excelling in geothermal, geothermal energy. And in Africa, I think is the it has about 92% renewable energy, and it's, it's really contributing its quota to this whole conversation of uh, cleaner fuel. And Morocco is increasing its, in a way, it's increasing its um, renewable energy share to about 40% con- as its contribution. And, 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 and we also know of Rwanda achieving a universal um, electricity access to its people, South Africa, I'm, I'm very much interested in South Africa because they produce coal and they depend heavily on coal for the electricity. So um, South Africa, we know, is launching a 10 billion renewable energy program as it stands. And that's a significant. We're just hoping that they are going to get a boost to help achieve this goal. Uh, another East African country that I know of um, that is investing heavily in hydropower is Ethiopia. And we are just also hoping that uh, they're going to get the support they need from developed countries like yourself, like America, to help it achieve that that goal it wants to achieve. Egypt is exploring a very good um, face of the solar energy potentially through its uh, Benan is it um, Ben Benban solar solar park, and we all know solar is also a very good very good um, source of energy that can help in this whole conversation. So we are hoping that uh, they also get uh, the necessary assistance they, they need to, to be able to achieve this. And I mean, significantly in Africa, as of 2022, geothermal energy capacity in Africa increased to about um, 965 megawatts. And it's, it's, it is, it is, and most of it, of the, most of this geothermal I mean, uh, installations or installed capacities are located in the eastern part of Africa. So we are we are hoping that um, concentrations in the middle belt, the middle Africa, and also west of Africa, where I come from, maybe specifically Ghana in the northern part of Ghana, where we have we can harvest a lot of sun for our solar um, solar power. So I I hope that there'll be there'll be there'll be a look at that and also investments towards that can be can be made for such for us to realize. And also contribute our quota to energy transition and also the talks of climate uh, climate change. Well, do I get it, to add to the uh, Do I get to add to the Nairobi summit? Pardon? Can I add to the Nairobi summit? Right, right. No, that's it. That's I'm asking Jim. If Jim says I oh, should go right. ahead, I'll go ahead. Please do. Go ahead. So um, I don't know if you if you read the modern um, energy minimum by Todd Moss of the Energy for Growth Hub, where he's tried to look at. Um, um, just an African country, the average African country doesn't consume as much energy as the least populated state in America. 
which means if we take individual African countries, it's possible for us to have some good supply of electricity at the same time having uh, the renewable sources as well. Now, that kind of like ties back to the Nairobi summit. And I had the opportunity to develop energy system models for some not-for-profit that I'm not allowed to disclose. And I think most of the presidents have always thought about, we want to decarbonize, but can we decarbonize by using our local resources? That is more like localization. For example, Nigeria has so much gas, right? Ghana has so much gas. Are we just going to abandon that and just switch to renewable? And that is where the question has always been. And that was one of the big talking points, like Ruben said, in addition to the financing, we have what it takes and we have the resources to produce energy. So as part of that, that work I had to do, I had to develop an energy system model, you know, that kind of projects from today up until 2070, what the demand is going to be. And now what we did was we take the OECD average and then we superimpose that on African countries and say, we want to achieve the same lifestyle or living standard as these developed countries. Now, between 2022 and 2070, how do we get there? Now, this is how we're, we're, we're looking at transition plan was, let's assume that we have the next 25 years to use natural, natural gas. What are we gonna do? Then that means that we have to increase investment in natural gas or gas-fired plants. And that means we need to extract the resources profitably and equitably in such a way that we have enough to feed all those. Now, once we are building those ones, we also need investment to kind of augment the, the system where we are investing the renewable energy sources and trying to see as you are pumping more gas, you are also including the renewable energy sources so that after 2050, that flips. Then the country then has to retire their natural gas plants and switch I, don't, I want to say completely, but I think this was scenario-based, so you don't know what it's going to be. But then from that point, they will switch to renewable. And that is the plan. And uh, this team that I worked with was a team of like African people, African experts. And from the African voice, that is what we want. Well, I think that, I mean, what you brought out here is a really important uh, kind of perspective. It's maybe the naive Northern view sometimes paints all African countries as one energy system, which obviously is clearly not true. Yeah. I mean, you have Kenya, as you said, with geothermal, with uh, other places with hydropower, other places with coal, other places with, with fossil fuel kind of resources. And it has to build up from the local strength towards yeah. Yeah. those goals, including probably, the, as you said, a plan for a lot more electricity demand to raise the sustainable, you know, kind of goals within the country. Uh, just one question for maybe... Um, uh, either you or Ruben, is that there are a number of countries. You mentioned Nigeria with its natural gas and crude oil resources, Angola offshore crude oil resources, recent very large discoveries offshore at Tanzania, Tanzania. maybe even Namibia. Some of the, are uh, those countries are going to want to take advantage of that local resource that start from their own instead of importing solar panels from someplace else or whatever. Is there some, part of the pushback of, you know, why can't I use my own local resource to grow my energy security and also in that decarbonize in an in appropriate way? Okay. So, okay. okay well, well, John, no, 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 Ruben, go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> okay. Right, Jim. So um, from my perspective, I, I want to believe that um, in as much as we are talking about 
this whole thing and hoping that uh, we get things materialized. And also, uh, we can we can confidently uh, boast of Africa having those kind of natural resources. But it comes down to resource management and and the commitment of our various governments to uh, getting our resources that we have managed to, 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 to the benefit of the majority of the people in the various countries. So uh, in as much as we are talking about this whole conversation and hoping that we, we are able to uh, tap into the natural resources we have, uh, we hope that policies that can, policies, very good policies, very good policies can be put in place by our governments to be able to tap into uh, this kind of natural resources we have for us to benefit and see the see for the general people of of of, of the of the individual countries to benefit from that and when that is done committedly and I, I use the word committedly because it is supposed to be a deliberate commitment to achieving this so I mean policies can be put in place by our various governments and also a deliberate commitment by this same government to get things done and get things right rightly put for for the benefit of the masses so John. Thank you. That that's good. Uh, I want to try to maybe close uh, this conversation, but I want to give each one of you an opportunity to to give the North some advice, right? Instead of you sitting here taking uh, the great wisdom from the North, I want I want the North to listen for a minute. Uh, one of the main themes of our energy transition talk has been that the energy transition is up to each one of us, and we all have to make commitments, and we all need to be heard and our voices need to be heard. So Ruben, starting with you, I'm gonna give you the responsibility to speak for Africa. And, oh. and I, I wanna give you an audience that, uh, that, the, 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 uh, that the United States is listening to you right now. At least yeah. University of Southern California is gonna be listening to you right now. What advice do you have for the North? Okay, so my advice for the North is that uh, when we look at the, the emission of carbon dioxide that eventually depletes our ozone, and Africa, I can confidently say, emits a little of the CO2, and majority of the CO2 emission is from the North. But eventually, when, when, when there's, we pay the price for the climate change effects, such as the droughts and wildfires and stuff and con and sometimes it gets to us so much that we have little resources that is financial resources to even mitigate or to even mitigate the effect of climate change on our people so i i i advise and plead it's also a plea as well that um when it comes to talks of talks of climate change and also financing of climate change we know that africa is not well resourced in terms of financial resource, sorry, in terms of uh, having the financial capital to put up infrastructures to um, help in 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 the impact of uh, this this whole conversation. So we 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 we, we advise or personally advise that um, th there should be so much commitment, financial commitment on the part of the the the, the north to help start with 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 this whole conversation and also to help us realize the impact of i mean climate change hugely or largely on on our side so with with the with the nairobi uh, summit that they had there were calls for multilateral financial sources and also there were calls for financial sources largely to to help africa so i i plead that uh, 
the course of our leaders at this conversation at Nairobi should be heard, and also it should be it should be quick. There should be a quick response to 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 helping our our people back in Africa, and it shouldn't just be as John said, just a talk, but it should be action backing the talk, and also funds should be released as soon as possible for for us to also be at par or be at that level to helping mitigate this whole climate change effect. Thank you. That's, that's very uh, appropriate. So, John, um, if we abandon the empty talk and we start to have the right kind of conversations, what should we be thinking about? Look, Jim, I'm just going to be honest. And, Please. And let you say, uh, let me say, we need to be very patient and show empathy. That's why I say that Africa is fast growing and we have the youngest population. At the same time, we are the people who suffer the most from climate change. But climate change is just one part of the talk. We have development challenges and we have social challenges. And that's what I say, we need to be patient and we need to show empathy. It's a nested problem. The global North is developed, little social challenges, so they can go for the new technologies. In the global South, they don't have that. So when we look at all that and look at, look at more like a multifaceted problem for Africa, it helps us see better than what we are looking at. That is one. My second advice is gonna be, we need to talk. When I say we need to talk, the global South and the global North need to both talk. For me, finance is not a big problem because I feel like once we get the fundamentals right, we can always get the money. The money is there, but the fundamentals are never right. So if we, or in, in other words, if the global South and the global North come together, and it doesn't have to be the whole global North, let's say one country in the global South wants to have an agreement with, let's say Ghana, you need to go sit with all the stakeholders in Ghana, try to understand what they want. And at the same time, the Ghanaian government and its stakeholders also need to understand what the global South, and together collectively, we can come up with policies that are both kind of like agreeable and actionable from both parties and get both parties to commit. And for me, I think once we have these two, the financing is more like, is the icing on the cake. It's just probably gonna be like, we have all these two fundamentals. We know Africa has this big problem and that is not just climate change, it's more than that. Let's look at that. Let's get the people involved. Let's come up with all these policies together. And then it's more like you can now sprinkle the icing or maybe like the spices on the meat. And I think that is the, that's the only way to go forward because we have, the global north has to listen to the needs of the global south. When I worked with uh, an oil company, I had several friends from Nigeria, and it wasn't always icing on the cake; it was hot sauce. On okay, the food, hot sauce. They never yeah. get their food that spicy. Enough. Yeah, but yeah. charity is often equated with sympathy. I, I get from your message that Africa doesn't need sympathy; it needs empathy. It needs yes. the understanding of what yes. your needs really are. That's correct. <laughs> Felix, it's, it's your chance. Speak for Africa. Felix, are you uh, are you there? We can hear you. I think it's mine. Felix, you can hear you. Take your mic. Okay, well, well Eben, why don't you take the, the concluding uh, opportunity here. We thank you very much, all of you, for your uh, uh, really good insights and, and honest talk. Uh, and appreciate that. So, Eben, you you get the last word for Africa. Okay, so to... No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so to add up and pick up from what John said, in Africa, you know, because of our, our tropical location and uh, different resources and other stuff, we need a tailored issue. 
there is not one stream of um, uh, um, solution to our issues. We need a tailored issues. And Jim, one thing is, most of these African nations, uh, you did mention, they've been Nigeria, Tanzania, and um, all the other African countries. One thing uh, we should realize is, we depend on these natural resources, especially the fossil fuels. We depend on their economic rents to build our, our, our economy. And look at the, the debt to GDP ratio of all these African countries. You get to realize that when we take off these uh, fossil fuels, the economy is going to like it's going to be like it's going to cripple. It's going to cripple. So now the global north telling us to transition from uh, um, from fossil fuels to renewable energy. It's like telling us to put away. You should put away what you what you're having, and you're giving us something. And at the end of the day, we've seen from the um, example of the COP26, uh, the Global North promising South Africa some huge money and uh, not fulfilling it. So if this is what is going to occur, if we don't build a, a finance mechanism as a medium to resolve this issue, it's going to be a case of death for all these nations who are going to put away their uh, natural resources and um, um, focus on renewable. So I think it should work in parallel and bridge the gap over there because uh, we still have deficit of uh, electricity to homes and other stuff. And currently, I think we, we have about 600 million homes without electricity in Africa. And uh, the uh, African Development Bank did put out some kind of uh, uh, fund, which, if, if I can recall very well, is the Desert to Power Initiative, which is providing about 250 million people with electricity. But we still have a deficit of 350 million. And looking at all this, I think it should work in parallel because if you don't do that, it's going to cripple most of the African economic nations. So if indeed we are looking at uh, providing or closing the gap between the global north and global south, I think there should be a parallel model over there whereby it's, it's going to gradually fade out. And I think it will, it will link up with what John was talking about, 2050 having a flip over there. It's, it's, it's something we can't just fade off. It's just something we can't fade off from. So if really uh, we are looking at bridging the gap, I think we should have a parallel model whereby it's slowly going to fade out because these resources is our blessing. So omitting these resources is becoming, it's, turning, it's, it's going to turn a resource case and there's really like, there's going to be a lot of unemployment and all other stuff. So I think there should be a parallel model and tailoring of policies according to each and every African country because we have got special resources and uh, one thing, one one thing that is common is we, we, we with our tropical zones, we uh, solar is going to benefit us very much. So whilst we are putting all this together, like I said, in our hammer on the game, we should have a power model whereby we are slowly going to fade out and uh, with the fossil fuel and transition to the renewable energy in a manner that is not going to be a resource case. It's not going to put pressure on Africa. It's not going to put um, a lot of um, climate repercussions and all other stuff. So in general, what I'm trying to say is these resources are economic ranks. These resources is what boosts our economy and this resource is everything to us. So fading away from it without a solution is going to be a case of death. Well, thank you. Um, Felix, I saw that you were back on. I, I will let you to have uh, uh, your, your, your word on this as well, your concluding comments for us. Thank you. Hope everyone can hear me now. Yes. yes. Uh, I want to start by showing deep gratitude to the global commitment to addressing climate change, especially in Africa. 
our continent is home to some of the world's most vulnerable communities in the face of this, in the wake of these changing climate issues. So my advice to the North is to, in order to ensure this global transition from, from fossil fuels to net zero emissions, uh, there, should, there should be policies and, and uh, it's a moves like technology transfer. So I'm hoping that the North will share green technology and knowledge transfer, which is essential in helping with the African countries to be able to advance renewable energy technologies and expertise. Also, there should be capacity building, which is collaborative programs should be established to enhance the capacity of African governments and institutions in managing and implementing climate initiatives. This includes training and education for local experts. And as John rightly mentioned, there should be uh, strategic partnership and collaborations, uh, encourage public and private sector partnerships between the northern businesses and African enterprises. These joint ventures and collaborations can drive sustainable development and adaptation of renewable energy practices. For this to be achievable, we need to do our part as Africans, especially our leaders. It needs to be transparency and accountability on the government level so that uh, we can we can rightly move in the direction of what we want and save the people uh, better. Thank you. Well, thank you, Felix. Just to conclude here, um, the Africa also has a, another natural resource that's critical to the energy transition or in, in climate change, in my view, and that is the the forests of the the Pongo River Basin, just like the Amazon River Basin, as a carbon sink, as a natural carbon sequestration often called the lungs of the world the uh you know the protection of the of the natural resources within um you know some of the major river uh systems which are huge which are massive global scale uh is also a, a resource that africa needs to protect well thank you and i'm i i'm deeply honored to have all four of you gentlemen uh participating um on this panel um and, and thank you for allowing me to have a little bit of fun about having you represent all of Africa. Obviously, this is a deadly serious topic. <laughs> and your honesty and um, direct talk, not empty talk, are, are greatly appreciated. Um, uh, we will be listening. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good one. Have a good one, everybody. One takeaway from this episode is that we need both private and public investment to pay the bill for going green. Whether that bill is $276 trillion through 2050, as McKinsey and company has estimated, or only $131 trillion, as the International Renewable Energy Agency, or IRENA, has estimated. The cost of moving quickly from an energy ecosystem built on fossil fuels to a low and zero carbon energy ecosystem is a big task. The recent U.S. investments in clean energy of nearly $240 billion seems insufficient in comparison. Institutions from the World Bank to the IMF also have a role to play in incentivizing private sector to invest in this pathway. Our Ghanaian students also made it clear that the energy transition is viewed very differently by the Global South as compared to the more developed nations in the Global North. 
The need to balance the goals of sustainable development with access to reliable, affordable, and green energy looks different from their experience to the rhetoric of North America. The African nations have started on their path for the energy transition, but the richer countries need to contribute by investing directly in local economies. Because the energy transition is up to the changes we're willing to make as individuals and as a society. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed a little more of the story of the energy transition, because the energy transition is up to you and me. We would like to thank the USC Urshagi Center for Energy Transition, which aims to develop innovations in energy technologies and foster the transition to a low-carbon future for sponsoring this podcast. Special thanks also to our guests for today and Abi, our technical guru, for their important contributions to our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to Energy Transition Talk. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we would appreciate it so much if you could leave a rating and review and subscribe to our podcast so you can automatically get access to our new episodes. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justine. I'm Jim. And I'm Paulina, signing off from Energy Transition Talk. Stay tuned for the next episode.